another episode of Thick Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Yo, we have uh, been off the grid for the last week and a half. You've been, I don't know what you've been doing. You've been just like gallivanting through California. Just, I don't know if you're working, you're not working, what's going on. I'm over here doing the job. We just moved over the weekend, so I'm... I, you were like, hey, can we record? I was like, I don't even know where the mic is. I don't know where anything <laughs> is. Um, but it has been an absolutely crazy week. Trying to keep up with basketball on top of all that. First thing I did was like, I just we just need to get the internet set up. So Sunday night, I had to be able to watch. And that was my sole goal, regardless of anything else that we did with the move. Well, first and foremost, congratulations on the new spot. This is the first you. episode you're recording from the new house. So that's exciting. First episode um, I, since the Spotify money came through, exactly. <laughs> I saw I saw you lifting up that couch on Instagram, like over the. Uh, yes. uh, what's that's the story how you there? know you I didn't get it through that, the door. That's how you know I didn't get the Spotify money. Um, <laughs> no, so like we have, and so this is what's so annoying, right? Because it, it all starts with lumber prices, right? Like that's really where square one of the story begins. Lumber prices are crazy, so all these furniture stores are on, like, incredible back order, which means you're looking at, like, 10 to 12 weeks minimum for basically anything. Anyone who's listening who's purchased something in 2021 will understand. And the problem is our couch is coming in late September, right? So we were basically sitting between, okay, it's early July. Do we really just go couchless for two months, knowing that our, the current couch that we have is a total pain in the ass? It's huge. I mean, it's very comfortable, but the fact that we've even made it into two play, two apartments, this being the third now, is a miracle. So we were like, "Well, we don't want to have it, but there's almost no choice." So we didn't we didn't realize it wasn't going to fit, but we brought it in. The movers were like, "Absolutely no chance. It's not going up the staircase." And they were recommending us sawing it in half and getting <laughs> someone to put it back together. Apparently this is a service that exists, but we basically, we have like a patio off of our kitchen and that patio, it's like one floor up, right? So it wasn't crazy, but the movers two there's three movers, two of them effectively hoisted it up, like just pushed it up. Like, like they were the rock and Vin Diesel. <laughs> and then me and the other guy, pulled it like they had tied ropes around it so we just basically pulled it up until it could um tilt over the the railing and onto the patio and from there it could fit through like the patio door it just couldn't fit up the staircase at the angle that that was at and so we were staring at a proposition of just like having this this couch just be permanently in our like garage for the foreseeable future <laughs> we just had to hang out there all the time and finally got it in and then it feels good, but we just looked at each other and we're just like, how the hell are we going to get this out in two the months? When we, <laughs> we thought we were going to sell it. We we're going to be paying people to get rid of this thing. Yeah. At this point, you got to saw it and then just <laughs> get rid of it. Yeah. That way. We were um, thinking you just throw it over the, 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 the railing and just like let it crash below. Yeah. <laughs> the that HOA might be early on my ass if we do that. <laughs> Um, well, that's exciting, man. Yeah. I mean, no wonder you were so busy. I, I mean, I myself, I had the week off, so I had a less stressful. Oh, week. very nice for you. That's but uh, <laughs> what did you? But do? I was busy you, in my own way. Just uh, yeah, you were on a yacht at some point. Where was yeah. that? Because you were still in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, yeah, that was in the Bay. Uh, me and the, one of my buddies has a sailing license, and so we it was like a two man thing. We just went out for a couple hours one evening, and uh, it was fun, man. Learned how Chardonnay. to properly. Yeah, yeah, I learned how to properly sail and, you know, had my hands on the ropes, was getting my hands dirty. It was, uh, it was a good day. Does the Bay Area get hot enough to be on a boat? Yeah, man. What do you, like, it, of course. It was 68 70. versus 62. It was yeah, yeah, 70. <laughs> it was comfortable. If it's 70 on the water, that's actually cold. Let's be real. Oh, it gets worse. That was actually warmer. It usually gets much colder than that. Before we switch off the Bay and into basketball, um... I assume since the San Francisco Giants are really, really good again, that you're finally paying attention to baseball. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's just all my teams, man. It's all, you know, now it's the Giants, first place Giants. They they crushed the Nationals on Friday. <laughs> the year of Karthik sequel. We talked yeah, about this. It's, uh, I want more titles. Let's keep them reeling in. And Johnny Juzang's coming back for UCLA. What did you say they were going to be ranked next year? Number one or number two. 
definitely. Who else? Is, who else is in contention? Baylor or no? Baylor lost a bunch of guys, right? Or they will? No, it's uh, I'm forgetting who it was. Gonzaga. They got Chet Holmgren. Yeah, but it was not Gonzaga. I think the number one team is going to be um. I don't even remember. But either way, man, UCLA is going to be formidable next year. I, what did I say about Juzang? I was like, I don't think he's going to go high. And he was projected to go second round. And so he was like, screw it. I'm going to run it back. But you know what I never understand about that? It's like going back doesn't always mean that you'll improve your stock. If you're if, like Juzang is not going to have a season like where he was as no, well known and sort of like, I mean, I guess if they make a run to the title, but they went to the final four and he was awesome. How much better could he get such that it's going to go from a second round pick to something higher? That's what I just... His his stock will never get higher from that point of view, but he well, can just put on go. some weight. He can improve his game. He can put on some weight. He can, you know... Uh, his biggest thing right now is he doesn't have the lift and the strength to really compete in the NBA against better athletes. He can <laughs> work on going to magically appear. He's like... He's a young he's guy, like, man. This dude, dude's like 19 years old. <laughs> Hey, when These I was 19, I had that same idea, and that didn't happen later Later on after that. I yeah, was well, looking the Indian, the Indian same jeans thing. don't help, man. The Indian jeans are holding you back. So Yeah, I know. Story of my life. All right, let's get into the finals here. There's a lot to cover. We got finals, and we got Team USA. I'm just, you know what, I'm, I'm just sick. But anyway, um, the Milwaukee Bucks last night. So we were going to record last night. Uh, we actually don't play a game four again until Wednesday, so there's a little bit yeah. of a break here. I think kind of because of baseball, um, because of home run derby, all star game. It's funny that those two are now clashing, but Bucks had obviously must win game three. They rolled. Um, I think it was close up through the first quarter and a half, and then Aiton got in foul trouble, and it kind of spiraled out of control for for Phoenix. You know, they're still in a great position, up two one. You know, they have home court advantage. It's really hard to win in Phoenix, but. Let's start with game three and then maybe talk about the overall series. But did anything happen in game three that you looked at and was like, oh, wow, if Milwaukee does this, that could actually be sustainable or they have a real shot to come back? Or is it just, you know, the classic case of home team down 0-2 wins game three, nothing to write home about? So I have a lot of thoughts in the game and I want to get to all that. But I first think I do have to. Oh, I do have to acknowledge that Giannis. I've been riding Giannis hard this entire postseason, this entire season. Um, and I still stand by all the things I did say. No, but don't I have, have to admit, apologize here. I have to admit he's been incredible. He's done everything I was asking him for. He's he's playing. And and I know we talked a little bit about this in the chat. He's been putting up 30 and 15 in every series this postseason. But the way he's controlled the game, the way he's put his kind of fingerprints all over the game offensively and defensively, the way he's getting his points, the fewer jump shots, how he's uh, you know playing as that pick and roll role man, uh, doing it really well. He was doing it really well in the regular season, kind of got away from it first couple series. Playing, uh, his playmaking has been incredible. He's doing everything right on the basketball court right now. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of thoughts on, of course, he's able to exploit a lot of mismatches and a lot of the fact that Phoenix just doesn't have big man depth, but credit where credit's due. I think he has taken his game to another level after I questioned him, after a lot of people, not just me, questioned him and that kind of mentality towards the end of a game and can you rely on him to carry you through and be that dominant force from start to finish. And that game ran away from them, uh, from the Suns in the fourth, but when it was close, he did all that he had to do to put him away. So first things first, I want to start there. Giannis, the story is Giannis. And 40 and 10 in back-to-back games, it's no coincidence that it's only Shaq who's done that before. It is not something you see very often. Yeah, look, I mean, I think the problem, and, I, and like everybody has been riding Giannis for a couple of years now, right? We've, we've, we've talked ad nauseum about this. Um, remember when they even beat Miami round one, 4-0, and I was like, oh my God, we're starting to see a different version of the Bucs. We're like, it, it's still round one. You know, I know they avenge the loss from last year but they got brooklyn you get by brooklyn we know the circumstances i think at that point that's where you and i diverted because the, after the brooklyn win i was like damn if you're gonna and I, I i thought they were gonna get smoked so i originally thought they were gonna win the series then they go down 2-0 i'm like this is embarrassing and then they come back and win and i was like man i know the circumstances weren't necessarily like 100 percent strength on the brooklyn side but if you're gonna beat 
Brooklyn in a game seven on the road with Durant doing what he did, at some point you got to give it up to the guy. Um, again, then they lose game one to Atlanta, right? And it still is like the, the cat calling, all this kind of stuff. They end up coming back and winning that series, even though he missed the last two. I think ultimately for me, he's absolved himself in a really big way in the postseason. I don't think it's crazy to have had those doubts coming in. I don't even think it's crazy to have them, you know, after the Miami series. But I think once they beat Brooklyn, circumstances or not, that is a big, big time performance because like you said, he was still putting up numbers. You didn't like his performance versus Brooklyn as much as I did. But the problem is we're asking him to be both Shaq and Kobe. How could he do how can he do both, right? Which player in NBA has really effectively been able to do both? You can point to the LeBrons, Durants, Kawhis of like, oh, these guys were able to you know, create their own shot, late game situation. But if that's all we're paying attention to, why don't we just fast forward every game to the last three minutes and just evaluate based on that? Because Giannis is putting his team in a position to win minutes one through 45, as well as, if not better than anyone in the league. And he has been for the last three years. I think we may have indexed too hard on the criticisms without realizing that even like, for example, game two, right? They lose. He puts up 20 in the third quarter by himself. Everybody else is playing like they fucking think it's an October preseason game, starting with Drew Holiday. And it gets, that game's going to go down as a loss. And it's going to go down as, you know, one maybe that he didn't get good shots off late. But does that you know, totally invalidate everything he did prior to that? And I think that's where we've lost our our course with how we've evaluated him um, over the last couple of years, especially well, in the playoffs. Here's where I disagree. I, I don't think it's just about the last three minutes that I'm talking about. I think throughout the course of those games against Brooklyn, Look, Brooklyn, they had a massive mismatch against Giannis defensively. Like, they were not equipped to handle Giannis. This isn't Toronto with Gasol and Ibaka. This isn't Miami with Bam, Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler. This was the Brooklyn Nets who have not been able to stop anyone defensively. And Giannis, throughout the course of the game, whether it's taking ill-advised jumpers, whether it is... um, you know, bringing the ball back up to the top of the key in a half-court situation and then trying to bully his way by Euro-stepping. That worked a lot in this game, but he did it in the flow of the transition, in, in the flow of the game. There were a lot of things he did throughout the course of the game that were very inconsistent to me. And that when the game was tight, of course, also in the last couple of minutes, I didn't feel like you could rely on him. I think throughout the game he played, game two and game three, he has now kind of figured out the optimal play style. And... And I, I really do think he's tapped into something he he didn't tap into before. And even he said in his post-game press conference that he's playing a little bit differently. He's thinking more about those jumpers even when they give it to him. He is not simply barreling to the rim with the idea of going to score. He is actually dishing it out. He's making those plays. He's playing very differently. Like watching him, he looks like a different player, even though his numbers look the same. And so I don't I still am not impressed by that Brooklyn series. But that being said. He, he's redeemed himself up to now. Have, but the big question you, is, yeah. What, what's the big question? Well, the big question Finch. is the series is not over, right? So we're all ready to crown Giannis. But if the Suns win in five, what like what's the takeaway? That no, no one's ready. To, you're right. I mean, look, look, I think at the end of the day, we're so reactionary because we do these podcasts like right after a particular game or two, three times a week for some people that it's just like you have no choice but to be reactionary. Every game, you can't just sit back and be like, well, let's – See how this plays out, and we'll continue to evaluate. Yeah. Right now, Phoenix has a fifty-three forty-seven edge, right? Like you're 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 hedging, right? At that point. But here's my here's my pushback on the on on the Brooklyn piece. If you say that he wasn't good late game, and he wasn't really great during the flow of the game, how does he put up thirty-two and thirteen on fifty-seven percent shooting, right? Because to me, there are some people who you can argue accumulate stats sometimes at the detriment of their team. You know, whether that's a Russell Westbrook who's, you know, taking ill-advised shots or whether that's, you know, think of any other kind of like stat patter type Trey Young last year when they were like, well, he's 29 and nine, but he was just playing very selfishly. Like Giannis doesn't play that way. Um, He, he does. Yeah. He takes a lot, a lot of shots in the restricted area. He has a lot of dunks. He's not a great free throw shooter, but what is the difference between him and a guy like Shaq or Embiid or whatever because who's a physical dominant force who can get his numbers against anyone and who ultimately is going to change the complexion of the game on both ends because that's what he does. So if you say, hey, he's not Durant, I mean, the question is how many people are? But 
really what we did is like I did this too. I pushed Giannis down to the bottom of my top ten, right? I was like, now nah, he's like eight or nine ish, not impressed. But what we've seen in this Phoenix series, and even what we saw in the Brooklyn series, would Luca have done that? If you just swap Luca and Giannis out, does even with the, the Nets yeah. injuries, do you really think that the the Bucks advance? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, Luca. I think I have I have more respect for what Luca can do, but uh, or maybe that's not fair to say because Luca only on the offensive end on defense, and know, he's also Giannis never won a playoff it. series, right? Like Giannis, uh, yeah, he's in his like thirty year in the league. Like, what do you, Giannis? Has been I, here well, for a that's while. my point, right? Like the projection with him is basic. See, this is you know what the problem is. This is the classic. You, you, as a LeBron stan, you're trained to to think in hypotheticals. You know what I mean? Because ultimately, the LeBron over Jordan argument is based on hypothetical versus fact. And with Giannis, <laughs> we're di- ignoring what he actually has done to then say, "Hey, all these other people in these scenarios would be." Doing he hasn't better. won the finals yet. Stop acting like he's done anything yet. He's he beaten the, the finals, Hawks but he's- and a hobbled Brooklyn team to get to the finals and he hasn't won the finals yet. So don't and tell what me about what he's he, done. What about heat culture? What do you mean? What about heat culture? He beat them round one after everyone yeah, was he... just busy, like, <laughs> you know, writing all the puff pieces Look, in the world about Duncan Robinson. He put him in a here, locker. I'll give the biggest compliment to Giannis right now. I'll tell you why I think of him as LeBron in 2010 when LeBron was dominating and putting up great stats in those first couple series. But then against Dallas, he had very clear ways in which he could be exploited. And he shrunk in the moment. You know, everyone knows that. And uh, at that time, he didn't have his post-up game. So he couldn't take advantage of the, the J.J. Barea, that joke about him and Deshaun Stevenson kind of bodying him up and LeBron couldn't score on them. Um, and there were other aspects of his game that he still hadn't really improved to the point where he could take advantage of a Dallas team that seemed not equipped to handle him, right? But throughout the yeah. rest of that postseason, LeBron looked great. So I, I don't think it's it's crazy to say Giannis looks good, but then his flaws got really magnified. And my question was, how is he going to bounce back from it? He's done it so far, but before we crown him, I still want to see what happens when a game is tighter, when it's, it's you know, because the Milwaukee as a team is very good at front running. They go up when they're at home. They play well at home. They go up. They're playing when Giannis is like feeling himself. They play really well. Yeah. And I know in game three, he, game two, we played well, but I mean, they were down quite a bit and he had to do it. He had to kind of do everything by himself. There's still three games or four games left in the series. Let's wait and see how he handles the rest of these. And I don't expect him to put up 40 and 10. He doesn't need to, but I just want to see when things get tight, does he go back to the same bad tendencies? Does the free throw shooting abandon him? Does, um, you know, he he go back to the kind of simple one-two moves. He starts from the uh, up at the top of the key, barreling his way to the rim. Things that he used to do against Miami last year that started to falter him down the stretch. I just want to see after a couple more games. But up until this point, I think he has answered a lot of questions I had for him. Well, I, I'll say this, right? Because like you said, this series is not only far from over, Phoenix is still very much in the driver's seat. So, you know, any type of betting odds would still have Phoenix as a prohibitive favorite to win. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like every time I make a prediction, prediction, um, it just blows up in in smoke. Um, But at the same time, I have to think that based on what we've seen, Phoenix doesn't have anyone to guard Giannis either, right? Like unless Aiton can stick with them, but it's very, very hard to ask Aiton to guard him for 30 minutes a night and also not get into foul trouble just because the nature of the way Giannis plays. So, then you're looking at some combination of Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, um, sometimes Devin Booker, all of it, except Crowder, sometimes all of them have no chance. So the big question to me is, it's not much about will Giannis get his numbers or not. I think he will. I think it's hard to keep him out at 30, 30 and 10 no matter what, um, especially with these kind of elevated minutes. The real question is Middleton and Drew, because ultimately – Chris Paul and Devin Booker through two games had badly, badly outplayed those guys. Uh, last night, it swung a little bit into the Bucks' favor, but like you said, the Bucks are the best low-stakes team in NBA history, right? Like, <laughs> when it when the chips are not on the table, they look amazing, right? That's why yeah. they had one of the best net ratings in league history last year, actually, because they just blew everyone out. You know, you play Cleveland, great, great. We're going to win by 37. Like, it doesn't matter. A lot of these playoff games, and especially a few finals games, have not been particularly close. We have not seen 
a game that's like two to three points, you know, with three minutes left. And at that point, yeah, the Bucks absolutely still have questions outstanding. But my ask, my question to you is, if Giannis is not calling for the ball or if he's not making plays down the stretch, but he has still put them in a position to win and he does defer to Drew or, or Chris, which he even said that he, you know, it's something that he does. He said it in the Atlantic series. Do you find that as an issue because we have this like preordained notion of what a superstar is? Or do you I, find that it's a guy who recognizes where his strengths are and where they're not? Middleton and Drew are great players. They're not Kobe, right? To Shaq, they're not going to be a stack kind of a second fiddle player. But Middleton is a great player. The problem is they're inconsistent, and we know that, and we've seen that time and time again. And so there are going to be times where Giannis has to call for the ball and has to get them through those tight situations. You can't rely on Chris Middleton every single time. And Giannis did this that last game, this last game. He was clapping his hands, begging for the ball back, and he was putting up like he was backing it up. Yeah. And yeah. getting down low and scoring at ease. like So he needs to do more of that. Um, I don't think you can get super passive in every game that it's close. You hope Chris Middleton takes over. I'm not even talking about the last shot. Fine, last shot, you give it to a shooter. That's okay. But I'm talking about down the stretch. Last six minutes of a game, he needs to continue to be this aggressive. And he hasn't always done that. Because he's also what? scared of free throws. I don't think he's scared of free throws, though. I don't think that he is at all because he's averaging double-digit free throws. It's not like like you're making it seem like he's like Ben Simmons trying to like shy away from like taking a shot because he's afraid to get the line. If there's one thing about Giannis, he is the one guy in the league who doesn't give a shit about his humil his pride or his ego in the sense of like I don't want to look bad, I don't want to be made fun of, I don't want to do anything. This dude goes a hundred all the time. And you can, you can quibble with a lot of things about his game, and deservedly so. The one thing you cannot say is that he is afraid of the moment. Because I don't – I mean, there's nothing to indicate that he is. He goes in. It's not about afraid of the moment, but I'm telling you, there was uh, at least a game or two in Brooklyn series and a game or two in Atlanta where at the last couple minutes or last minute, he turns into a glorified screen setter. They're not running actions with Giannis. And I get it. You want to design a play for Middleton – they're not using Giannis as a role man. They're not doing anything creative with Giannis. He kind of sets a pick, comes back out to the top, and is is not really part of the play. And, yeah, and part of does. me thinks that whether that's Bud's fault or Giannis's fault, it's you don't. If it's a really tight game, the free throw battle, you worry about that. And now he's been shooting better recently, but I'm just saying earlier in the playoffs, that was a yeah. Problem. I mean, in the playoffs, he's shooting 57 percent, like on nine and nine and a half attempts in the regular season. He saw 69%, which is actually pretty decent. And what's funny, he's a career 72% free throw shooter, which is about what LeBron is. Right. Yep. So it's weird that this becomes such an issue for him in the playoffs. He's 61% in the playoffs for his career. So something happens, whether it is a, you know, mind game or mental issue or something, um, or maybe it's fatigue, right? Because he plays a lot yep. less in the regular season. He plays 30 minutes a night and maybe he's not as winded as he like, first of all, did you see game three? Like he came out within like a couple minutes. It almost yeah, looked like was he was weird. having like a panic really attack weird. on the sidelines. Yep. Like seriously, like he was, it was like kind of freaking out to like watch. Um, but nonetheless, I think, you know, he's going to bring it to me. Even last night, like Drew was solid. It's not like Middleton was crazy or anything. He had 18 points. Drew had 21. It's not like they lit the world on fire. And that's that, that in itself from how bad they've been is like, a victory for this for the Bucks, and I think I don't trust them to play well enough in Phoenix. Uh, they have to win at least one there, potentially maybe more, depending on how uh, the rest of the series goes. I still give the edge to Phoenix right now, um, but you know, look, Phoenix is a team that hasn't really been tested all that much by full strength rosters either, right? And so because of that. They've never really been punched in the mouth in the way that the Bucks might be able to with the win tomorrow night or Wednesday night. And you see Devin Booker, he's not playing well this series. I know he's gotten numbers, but games two and three, he just hasn't shot the ball well. And I think one of the things with him, and I was always confused by this, is he takes so many threes in these playoff games. He's not a good three-point shooter for whatever reason because he's got a pure stroke. He's excellent for mid-range. He shot like 34 35% from three this year. That's bad. Um, and so when you see him go five of nine, six of 10, you're just like wondering when's the, the other side of the coin coming. And, you know, we've seen it over the last couple of games. We'll have to see if he can get his stroke back. Um, 
because Paul as the main offensive generator is not enough uh, against the Bucks, especially if they're going to make their threes. So this was the story to me because in the first quarter, um, you know, I was watching the game and I was taking a couple of notes and, you know, right away, Phoenix's offense was kind of was buzzing. They exploited some mismatches with Aiden early. Like Aiden started off like what? Six for seven. Yeah. Um, they, they were running some of those kind of uh, like stagger, uh, like what do you call Spain pick and rolls. And yep. Aiden was getting these mismatches onto these smaller guys and just getting easy buckets. And he also hit a couple of jumpers. And I thought Phoenix was playing very well on offense, but there were so many possessions where Booker got the ball. And like you said, he would go straight into a three and not in the flow of any play. It was, it, it was just as if it was like a heat check. And he had four or five threes just in the first quarter that really felt out of flow uh, of that Phoenix offense. And Booker's always been a guy who, like you said, not a fantastic three-point shooter. He's a guy who scores kind of inside and then works his way out the hotter he right. gets the more right. he starts heating up from outside. And I just did not like his approach from the beginning. And I think everything else Phoenix was doing offensively was working well. They had a good first quarter. But Booker was was not finding that rhythm. And, and ultimately, obviously, the rest of the game, he never found it and was ultimately benched in the fourth quarter. And Was I he think, benched? What was your – like, they, they said tired legs, which I don't buy because Chris Paul is playing and it's the finals. I, th- was, I think, you think I he think was really benched? I think he's it's a little bit of both. I think he wasn't playing well, wasn't helping, and at the same time it's an opportunity to give him rest. But the the counter argument is you have 3 days till the next game, so how much right. rest does he really need? I thought it was like a mental like dude, this isn't your night, like just take a beat yeah. and just kind of watch the game for a bit and see what's going on. And that's Monty Williams kind of MO, I think, right? He's the kind yeah. of guy who who would make a decision like that. Um so that was one, right? That was one thing I thought Phoenix. And then obviously the big story of the game is Aiden. And we, we've we talked about the Suns' big man depth. Like you've talked about this. Even in the regular season, this was one of their biggest weaknesses. Yep. They don't really have any big men behind Aiden. And they, they play Saric, right? Who obviously is lost for the series. Kaminsky is a turnstile and not giving you anything offensively. It's, it's really tough to watch and, Frank Kaminsky play basketball. Yeah, and, and Jay Crowder can play like a big man, but ultimately he can still um, – he's susceptible to some of the moves Giannis put on him you know, in the low post. He's not going to yeah. give you that much. And consistent. he's 6'7", right? If Brook Lopez is going to be on him, he's going to rebound right over him. Yeah, Crow- Crowder was great in Miami when it's like you've got help, right? When it's Crowder and Bam or when it's Crowder and Aiden as a team – but, but when it's just him and you're relying on, it's not going to work. And so the thing that the Bucks fans should be the happiest about is Aiden foul trouble finally happened. He did a great job of staying out of it for a lot of the, the series. Yeah. But now I think one of the challenges is Phoenix is depending on his offense a lot. And they're depending on his defense. And they're, he's playing heavy minutes. And we're getting late into the postseason. And this is still a young guy. Um it's going to be harder to manage those minutes. And when you get more tired, you're more uh, susceptible to fouling. And one thing I liked that Milwaukee did was Chris Middleton for what finally got to the free throw line. This dude actually had a couple of drives in this game and all, and, and Drew Holiday, as much as he's been missing at the rim, these guys need to keep attacking. And, and because that is going to put more pressure on Phoenix's defense and Aiden is going to get caught in the crosshairs of some of those drives. And yeah. that's how you build up the fouls. And yeah. that strategy, if that they can do that, this is going to be a, an easy win for Milwaukee. Now, it's easier said than done, but that is a clear path to winning the series. The Aiden foul trouble is really a question mark of how the refs are going to call. We saw Scott Foster in game three. Yep. All the money immediately yeah. got bet on the Bucks right then and there. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll see him again in the series, but they let some of those plays at the rim go. Like, you know, in game was it one or two where Drew was missing like every layup known yeah, to man? Yeah, it was game two. And there was a few plays I was like, damn, that was a decent bit of contact. Like, I know he's just flubbing layups, but at the same time, he's kind of get. And so they, I felt like they let a lot of that contact go at the rim. I don't think that the officiating has been one-sided or anything, right? I just think that they let him be more physical in game two than they were in game three. And so it's really going to depend because the Bucks all out assault you at the rim, and then that opens up their three-point game with – with the fouls not being called, 
then allows Aiton to play straight up defense, allows Jay Crowder to get physical, and then they clean up on the glass, right? So yep. it's really a, a question of like, what's the Bucks' uh, success going to be in the interior? But if you look at it, like Giannis has taken 47 free throws, his team has taken 18, everyone else. Um, and the Bucks have actually taken more free throws than the Suns, right? 65 to 56. But because Giannis has taken such a bulk of them, the Suns have actually made a lot more of theirs. And so you really come down to trying to figure out, like, okay, you almost don't care if Giannis makes the foul shots or not, if those fouls are on Aiden or whoever's getting to the rim. Um, I, I'm That'll be something to keep an eye on because I wanted to br- come to this, which is where are you on all the switching conversation that's been taking place? Sh- switching versus drop versus, you know, the the blitz blitzing the pick because it seems like they've now settled on Drew fighting over every screen. Yep. The big man either hedges or just plays drop, depending on if it's Portis or Lopez. The problem is when they hedge or anything like that, Aiton's like free running to the rim, and that's why he got some of those easy buckets too in the first quarter yesterday. So I was thinking it's kind of like – an impossibility to guard because either you're putting a big on Chris Paul and he's going to just hit his patent in mid range, or you have to switch a small onto Aiden and he's so good around the rim at catching and finishing. I don't know what the better option is. I don't think there. I mean, so early on in the game, like you said, they were trapping that they were sending the, the second defender up at Chris Paul and he was fighting right. Aiden rolling to the rim mismatch, easy bucket. Um, they changed it up in the third quarter. I thought Bud tried I mean, you know, for all the talk about him not making adjustments, they tried different coverages throughout that game. Um, it wasn't like they picked. And I think, to be honest, I think against Chris Paul, you have to kind of keep mixing it up. Because um, he'll diagnose eventually what you're doing and then figure out the yeah, solution, right? He's exactly. And it's, and it's easy to say that, oh, just change it up. Yeah, you, like, well, it's, it's like an instinct thing, right? You'd rather know what coverage you have to play and kind of stick to it. But Chris, at Chris Paul, time and time again, he it's like spamming something in 2K that you know works, right? And that yeah. someone can't stop. Like you're just like when you running. only control the center and you don't actually play man to man defense on the on the ball handler. So um, the CPU just doesn't but, work for you. So so I think part of it is is you mix it up. Um and I I still don't know, right? Because every game is different. Like one game we, we talk about Brooke Lopez and not dropping enough. Another game he looks good. Like every, the thing with the playoffs is every or thing with the finals. Game to game, things look so different. So I don't know if there's a magical answer. Um, yeah. One thing that stood out to me, though, and this is something that we see every in every playoff series and why I love the NBA, is when you're game three, you're down 0-2 at home, the Bucks' defensive intensity in the third quarter was ramped all the way up. Like You could tell they were flying around on defense. Phoenix cut it down to four, but it, it was at some point, you could just tell it was a pure intensity and effort thing. Um and so as much as, as you know, you can talk about the coverages and the schemes, I don't think they found a magic answer to beat the Suns. I think they were just swarming on defense. Um, yeah. And with Aiden in foul trouble, he wasn't there to punish them, right? And it makes them much easier to guard. And with Booker not making shots, like campaign has become useless on offense. They, these guys are don't have that many options on offense. Jay Crowder got lucky with, from behind the three, but then after that, who do you have? You have Chris Paul. You have Mikel Bridges, who struggled. Cam Johnson. Um, and so I, th- I think there were just a lot of factors in play that made it easy for Milwaukee to kind of stop them. Yeah. And well, role players always shoot worse on the road, right? So a lot yep. of those guys didn't look like the heroes that they look like in, uh, in Phoenix, but you know, Jeff Van Gundy always says this, you know, sometimes it's a make or miss league, right? So everyone's crushing bud on game one and game two, but the degree of difficulty of the shots Booker and Paul were hitting were just crazy. Like, you know, it's hard to solve everything that the team does. And sometimes if they're going to kill you from mid range, they're going to kill you from mid range, right? Yep. Like you try to limit the corner tr- threes. You try to li- limit the labs. You can't limit everything, right? These are NBA professionals. Their games are at another planet. Like Chris Middleton, for example, we remember we talked about this, but it always looks like he's being guarded, but he's just tall and he can get to a spot. If he's making it, or if he's missing it, almost doesn't even depend on the defender. It just depends on like what kind of fucking mood he's in or something. Because yeah. one game he'll look like Kobe, the next game he'll look like you know Leandro Barbosa. Well, that's a bad example. He's actually pretty good. Like I don't know, give me a Jarvis Hayes. You know, from those '03 <laughs> Wizards days. Um, we used to call him Arvis because he had no J. No J. <laughs> um, even though that's what he was drafted for. But anyway, um, 
so to that point, I Bud has tried a few things. I think he got pretty good minutes out of Portis game three, but you can't count on that, I guess. You know, like Bobby Portis is on his fourth team for a reason. Um, At the same time, like Pat Connaughton is like playing well at times. And then other times everyone's just like freaking out. I think a lot of it, though, has to more like people are mad at Pat Connaughton because he's playing a bigger role than he should because Drew and Chris are sucking. Right. Or they were uh, earlier in the series. And that's really the it's like a symptom, not the cause. If those guys make shots and play well, you're going to feel the same way as you did about Phoenix after game one and two, where it's like, oh, my God, if Bridges is going to have 27, then what can we do? Yep. That's that's how the series is going to ebb and flow with a lot of guys who are not super consistent, even at the star level. Right. Booker is not super, super consistent. Giannis is consistent numbers wise, but you just mentioned at the top, he's not consistent play style wise. Right. So this isn't like LeBron, Durant, Kawhi, where you just pencil them in for exactly what they're going to do each game. This is like a lot uh, more variance uh, across the board, which is what has made it really compelling, I think, to me. I totally agree um, because like you said, with with the LeBron or the Warriors, like at least the top guys, you can expect some level of consistency. This series, you don't know what you're getting. Giannis has actually emerged as a poster boy for consistency in this series, at least, um, which I didn't expect. And uh, I don't know. So the Suns, you know, it, it's funny because you, they're still in the driver's seat. They're up 2-1. But how confident are you are in Game Four, and what do you think they're going to do differently in Game Four? Because um, that is Game Four has proven time and time again to be the most pivotal game in a series. It flips from two one to either two two or three one, and the series is effectively done. So, yeah. what do you think Phoenix can do to to steal one on the road? I think in Game Three, they whether it was intentional or the way the Bucks were playing, they fed Aiton a lot early. I think they're really going to try to get Booker the ball. Um, run a lot of sets for him or let him go to ISO because he generally, his minutes pattern is to play the whole first quarter and the whole third quarter. And when he gets off to those 10, 12, 14 point first quarters, you can really see it set the tone. And like some guys just don't like coming out in the first, right? Kevin Durant's the same way where he just plays the whole first quarter to get his like sea legs under him on us almost. I think Booker, he's going to try to be very aggressive. I expect him, you know, to take a bunch of shots early on. I expect Paul to look for him. And if he can break down the defense, then you get into like the sun spin cycle of just trying to get, trying to catch up with all the corner threes, trying to catch up with Paul, who's got the ball in a string. Like the whole thing works when Booker's starting to hit some of those contested twos because you have to bring help. You got to like, you know, sometimes he gets to the rim, he gets to fouls. Um, that's going to be the key for me uh, on, on offense for the Suns. When they're on defense, I don't know what. I don't know that they have the exact personnel to guard Giannis, but what I would probably do is make, you know, make Drew more of the decision maker. One thing I think we've found out about him is he's racking up eight, nine, ten assists just because of by virtue he's the main ball handler. He's not the type of pure point guard uh, that you'd like him to be in terms of not just passing and vision, but decision making. He's got a little bit of a lazy handle at times. He's got not necessarily doesn't always see the floor in the the right way. And so as much as they can put on him, I I think would be in their favor. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think Booker getting him involved early and like like I said th- this last game, they didn't it didn't feel like they ran any sets for him. It felt like a lot of it was being run around Chris Paul and Aiden pick and roll and Booker was given the chance every couple of possessions to make a play, and he shot threes. I think they got to devise some plays to get him the ball where he likes to get it, you know, off yeah. a couple pin screens. Pin downs, whatever. Some, you know, pin downs, whatever it is, to get him comfortable. Um, and then, you know, Aiden, that, that's always going to be there. The Aiden-Paul pick and roll is always going to be there, and you hope Aiden doesn't get into foul trouble. Um, so that's fine. Uh, the On the, the Buck side... Drew, it was interesting. They like the Drew. We talked a lot about that Drew Yadis pick and roll in the regular season. That was by all numbers super effective. And they got back to that this this um, game three. It was working. Uh, I think Drew. They are going to expect more of him. And then otherwise, I think Giannis. They're going to keep running the same playbook. Like if I'm yeah. Coach Bud, you just tell Giannis, look, this is exactly what we want out of you. This is exactly what you got to do. 
And and one thing I liked about Giannis in the last game too was that he also this is something a, a trait that only the super superstars have. And so I'm giving Giannis a lot of credit here. But it's knowing when you need to give the ball to your teammates and when to get them involved, mm-hmm. and knowing when you have to call for the ball yourself. There's a delicate balance, and I thought he actually played it really well last night, where he yeah. kept everyone involved, but at the same time was aggressive on his end. And so he's gonna have to keep doing that and just trust Middleton and Holiday to come through, yeah. um, because they're going to need to, you know, make some shots at some point in the series. Um, and what was impressive about that, by the way, in terms of Giannis, the distributor, is it's much harder to do that when you're not the lead ball handler, right? Like when you're when the ball's in your hands every play, you can kind of dictate whether you should be aggressive and take a shot or move it. When you're getting the ball as a secondary action or even dumping it in the post or whatever it is, part of what makes other guys open sometimes is how the defense reacts to you. So yep. if they're single covering you with Cam Johnson, it's almost basketball malpractice to not just go at him, right? But he still found the right way. Because in game two, I felt the team was so dependent on him, they kind of didn't even look to get the ball back. In yep. game three, they were humming much more, and this is back to like how much they like playing at home and sort of being up. Uh, it felt much more comfortable that they were like, okay, go be aggressive, go take your shots, but also we're ready to make plays. I thought Connaughton had a good game in that regard. Portis was active, and of course, you know, Drew and and uh, Chris. But no, yeah. It's crazy, man. Like, right. They only have like six players each, six or seven players. Like, I know we, we really always get to shortened rotations at this time, but I mean, Jeff Teague is. I mean, Teague is a corpse out there. He's I, absolutely. He's played 35 minutes in the series. But if you're like, okay, you look at the roster, and I'm looking at uh, both right now, and I'm like, okay, who would you play over Teague? I guess Forbes. Um, is Forbes really that much worse of a defender than Teague? Or like, wouldn't Teague get hunted the same way? I would think so. I don't know who Teague is. is that, like, yeah, I, like, but I think you just trust a veteran more in the, these moments. It's just a tendency yeah. for coaches. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, especially Bud, who's gotten a lot of, has had a lot of uh, positive experiences with Teague as his lead point guard, right yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we ever talked about this. Who are you actually rooting for? I'm rooting for the Suns. Why? Just because CP and... Because I want the Bucks to fail and for Bud to get fired and to all the questions to come up around them. But I'll respect, look, I'll respect it if Giannis comes back and wins, but I don't have a strong rooting interest for either team, to be honest. How, how, what level of asterisk title are you going to be yelling if the Bucks win? I, I don't care about the asterisk title. Every year has some weird... But I think this year we do have to, to talk about the circumstances around all these teams, how they got here, because... They, well then, let's start with Clay Thompson getting hurt in November. Huh? Oh, with the Warriors. <laughs> I'm rooting. For, see, when I when we were talking about this a week and a half ago, I was remember I said I would was rooting for Chris Paul because I wanted all the grades to have the ring, and I didn't want that yep. to be a you know blemish. I think I flipped. I I can't do it. I I just can't root for <laughs> Chris insane. Paul. Like I love Chris Paul's like I. I think he's a great, great player. None of my like dislike of his style takes away from me evaluating him. I just I can't root for it. I like Giannis too much. Yeah, the, the reason I'm the reason I'm kind of partial to the Suns is because they're like the Kings in that they've been a doormat they for play a while. In the Western, in that they play in the Western Conference or what Western. Was the other, no, what and, was the other? and <laughs> Pacific Division specifically. And, the same uh, division that makes them basically twins. And, and this, they're a throwback 90s team. I mean, so many people have talked about this, right? They've got the the classic two guard, the playmaking point guard, the center, um, you know, a couple of guys who know their roles really well, who are shooters. Like, this is, it's true. This is how a lot of but 90s teams What run. does that have to do with the Kings? Are the Kings a 90s team? No, no, no. That was just another reason on top. But the reason oh, they okay, have, okay. they're similar to the Kings is because, uh, do you remember in all the Game of Zones episodes, they made House Sun Kings? I actually Never watched Game of Zones. I know it's crazy. Wow. How as a Game of Thrones fan, how would you not watch? And Game of I know as a because it's made by Bleacher Report, right? Yeah. So I just assumed Bleacher Report was trash, and so I never. Dude, it it's so good. But but anyways, in in Game are they of Zones, actual episodes? They're like uh, eight minute shorts. Like each episode is okay. like eight minutes. Um, yeah. There was a running joke for a while that's like the. Sacramento Kings and the Phoenix Suns are the two worst teams in the league, and they combined to make this 
house, the house sun caves. And they were still utterly useless in the grand scheme of everything. But a lot of jokes about that. And it was always showing Fox and Booker on the horses next to each other. And so <laughs> Kings and Suns fans used to always joke about that, kind of how we're like brethren in that way. And now they're in the finals and we're still, you know, looking at who we can draft for the ninth pick. So Ninth, he, I saw a trade proposal, like just like a, you know, the athletic just shooting the shit, waiting for the draft. But it was like number nine, Heald and Bagley for number two. Oh, I'll do that in a heartbeat. It feels like Houston would not do that, right? Why would Houston do that? Yeah, they wouldn't do that. You can get Evan Mobley. There may be something else that was involved. I'm a Jalen Green guy. Are you Mobley? I'm a Mobley. I, I mean, look, Green. can you not watch Aiden this postseason? And, and you know, Yeah, you can also watch Booker. Who would you rather have? Yeah, but still. here. Oh, here's one thing I, I wanted to mention. The Bucks and Giannis, the way Giannis's play style is and how he's kind of just dominating in the paint. Remember how um, teams, when Shaq was in the NBA, every team had to carry like two or three centers if you wanted to compete for the title? Yeah, because um, you needed 18 fouls. Yeah, let's let's say the Bucks win the championship. Do you think that, you know, the fact that the Suns don't have a backup big, they struggle against Giannis. The teams that did beat Giannis were the teams that actually had some you know, couple good defensive bigs, couple big men. They weren't playing completely small. You think teams are going to kind of revert back to that, at least in the East, to try to counter? Because I mean, the honest and the Bucks are going to be competitive for the next couple years. I'm just wondering if if you're going to see more of that big men depth with some of these teams, even with Brooklyn, who uh, I know they it was close, but they still struggled. Well, I think if you do it, you would do it as a you know combination of Giannis and Embiid. Right in the East, it wouldn't just be Giannis because Giannis is not a traditional big. We we keep talking about him being a modern day Shaq, and a lot of the numbers and all of those things seem like it, but he doesn't really play exactly like how Shaq does. Like no, he's he doesn't have so, the moves, but he he's getting all his points in the paint. Like, but he also like handles the ball. Like he stands at the three point line and like will dribble from there. And like Shaq would never have done that. And so Embiid to me feels like more the revolutionary Shaq than than uh, Giannis did. And if Embiid could ever stay healthy and in shape, he could be just as good, if not better, given how good he is as a free throw shooter, right? Where he's 85%. But unfortunately, he just, I guess, I don't know, doesn't care enough or I don't know what the deal is. But I don't think teams would try to add more traditional bigs. I think you would try to add more versatile size. So like, for example, the Nets, who they really needed was Jared Allen right, in that series, who they, of course, traded for Harden. You do that trade any 10 times out of 10, but it's funny because Harden was actually hurt and not really helping them, and Allen would have been the perfect kind of guy to guard Giannis to be able to move nope. side to side. Aiden is as well, but again, you need more than one guy because he's going to get a lot of fouls called, and no matter who's guarding him. I think Anthony Davis is, of course, like the true prototype, but, you know, he's somewhat yeah, of a one-on-one. You're not one. stumbling on another Anthony Davis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, but I don't know. Like, Bam was thought of that thought of that before we got into this playoffs, right, because of what he did to them last year, and Giannis trucked him. So, Well, yeah, but last year, I mean, people forget it was a combination of Bam, Crowder, and Butler, who yeah. that three of them were all physical and, and presented problems. You don't have that right. here. Mikel Bridges but that's a good point. That's a good point, though. That's why it's not a traditional big thing. It can be big wings, too. Big wings, fine. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think I, if Giannis really is this dominant and people are saying he's like Shaq, it'll just be interesting to see other teams, you know, if you start to think about your roster construction to, to beat that. Yeah. I mean, Shaq also three-peated with three finals MVPs. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, different, it's a different conversation in some ways with what he – I mean, dude, do you remember, like – watching Dikembe Mutombo, who was Defensive Player of the Year, just getting absolutely, sh- like, thrown oh, yeah. out of the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I hated the Lakers so, so, so much. Watching him just just, just destroy these bigs, Arvita Sabonis, Rick Smiths, you know, Mutombo, uh, freaking that net series was a colossal just disaster. <laughs> Todd McCullough. That, Todd McCullough. Was that Jason Williams, too, with the big yeah. the guy who shot that guy? Yeah. Like, it was just... The most helpless feeling of all time. Even Divac, right? Like in those King series. Like yeah. He did okay, but it it just was too much. There was no answer for Shaq. There was no answer. I mean, but the, the good news for teams was that he's a 50% free throw shooter. Because if he shot 75% from the free throw line, 
He'd be the greatest player of all time. Dude, he'd yeah. be like, he'd literally be unstoppable. So your only right. hope was, hey, maybe he'll miss these free throws. Because back then he actually tried more on defense too. So he was getting blocks. He was, he was getting he was steals. Good. He was good he defensively. Was, he, and um, yeah, man. I mean, like the Kings used to keep, like we'd have Lawrence Funderbrook on the roster. He was a third big behind Divock and Scott Pollard. And he literally had no skill set whatsoever on offense or defense. He was just a body to rack up fouls. Like literally, that's what he was on that team. Right, right. I mean, he even even um the Sixers, they had Matt Geiger. Yep. Um, and they had someone else that I'm for Tyrone Hill. Like they had these like dudes who just like basically serve no like you can't get away with that now because every player has to be able to has to have some discernible skill, right? Yep. Like that's that's the evolution of basketball. Like you cannot play the guys that you played back then who did one thing and that was it. You have to be multidimensional. Um, which is kind of what would be really fascinating if Shaq existed today. Um, as, as I know he exists, but but you yeah, know, yeah. like if he was playing in today's league, like how he would be defended. Yeah, would um, would definitely be interesting. I mean, that's one of those questions that always gets asked, right? Like, how dominant yeah. would Shaq be? And then, so, what does he do in drop coverage? Is yeah. Steph Curry <laughs> and Chris Paul are they cooking him, or is it all good? Uh, I have no idea. But. All right, we got to conclude. So game four is tomorrow, uh, Wednesday. God, I keep saying tomorrow. Wednesday, uh, obviously another do-or-die game in a way for for Milwaukee. If it's 2-2, you know Phoenix is going to be feeling the pressure, but then at least they'll be headed back home uh, for Saturday. It's weird how much they're spacing these games out here late in the series. I'm not sure. I guess it's all just TV-driven. But Saturday night, game five, if it's 2-2, we'll just, that's my dream. That will be amazing. Um, yeah, I've I've got a little money on uh, Bucks in seven when they were down two zero. So, uh, what I odds am... did you get on that? What was Probably it? pretty good. Probably like plus six hundred, at least. Might have been plus eight hundred. Yeah, I was gonna say because there's only two outcomes for them to win, but they were probably like plus five hundred to win at all, right? Like, yeah, to even you know so. Um, we got to conclude um, with I, I thought I thought the USA. We got to conclude with what the fuck team USA is doing. They're going through the <laughs> exhibitions. I'm sorry, I've been just wanting to talk about this the whole time. You know, I'm a team USA guy. Uh, it's I just love the Olympics. I love USA basketball. So we lose on Saturday to Nigeria as 30 point favorites. We lose by three. It's like okay, fine. That's embarrassing. Bam, Adebayo is taking pictures with the other team like he's part of Team Nigeria. Yeah, but nonetheless. Um, you know, we come back Monday, we're 16 and a half point favorites versus Australia. We lose again in even worse fashion with two Patty Mills and Joe Ingles. So what's your concern level one to 10 on this team, not coming home with gold again, these are exhibitions. So the real thing starts off in a couple weeks. It's a, it's a four, it's a five. It's a five. Um, it might, it should be higher, but I should, I'm, I'm, you know, this is a very talented team. We talked about how much talent was on this roster. I do think they have fundamental flaws in that there are no real playmakers and this isn't 2k. Like when you play in international play, you, you need to have some semblance of an offense, some semblance of flow. It can't be one-on-one between Tatum and KD and the only defensive player you have on your roster is Draymond. There needs to be some more cohesion and, and we're already seeing Maybe things will change once they get like who's Middleton and Holiday, but um, I, it's, yeah. So I'm not I'm not sounding the alarms yet, but I I think there are real causes of concern, and it's not like the U.S. hasn't not gotten gold before. I mean, 2004. Um, but so that's the thing. How did we not learn our lesson from that team that was built with all these scorers and like that was led by Iverson and Marbury, right? Like. Well, I think international play has gotten we, better. Let's just be honest. No, but it's, why are we picking teams that have 10 isolation scorers and like one or two bigs that defend? Because we're treating and, it like 2K. But I, I guess like, you know, we don't know. You and I do not know exactly who all said no. I'm guessing we know some of the big guys did. Like we know Kawhi did, LeBron. We know Steph did. Like Kawhi would, probably didn't even receive the – like he probably <laughs> didn't even – wasn't aware that that invitation was made. But – yeah. Um, at the same time, what is the purpose of Zach Levine on this team when you already have Bradley Beal and Devin Booker? They are literally three facsimiles. Can you tell me anything that's different about having them? 
No. It makes then, no sense. And Kevin Love, it, too. It's like a waste of a roster spot. Like, And then Jason Tatum is just a bigger version of those three. And then <laughs> Damian Lillard is just a smaller version of those three. Like, Jeremy Grant's on this team. Why? Like, honestly, I mean, I'm not trying to go Bill Simmons and just throw out whoever played well, like, last night as to who should be on the Olympic team. But you almost would be better off with just, like, the most basic ass like DJ Augustine type point guard who will just pass it to the other players. Cause right yeah. now I like, I'm curious because drew holiday is a great, great defender, but he, like we said, he's not this elite playmaker, right? So he's not going to come in and just run the offense. I assume KD will just figure it out, but it's not even like Oh four where we're taking this like motley crew. Like we have, you know, 12 of the top 20 American players playing, you know, it's part. a talented roster. There's no excuse yeah. from a talent. This is not like, uh, do you remember when we first started this pod? Uh, it was 2019. <laughs> we were talking about the uh, FIBA play. Yeah, right? the World Cup. We finished seventh. Or World, yeah, yeah, World Cup. And it was, uh, it was bad. But that was a talent issue. That was directly linked to talent. I don't think that can be the excuse. I also think Pop might suck as a coach for Team USA. Like, it is sad because I love Pop, but if he does a seventh place finish then and follow it up with not winning a gold, it's a black mark because he's retiring after this, I think, from Team USA at the very least. Yeah, like you now, I mean, Coach K always had star-studded rosters, but at the same time, like, this is, it's getting to the point where it's happened enough times that you start to question, I don't know. And, and what, and the NBA rushed the season back just so we can watch the U.S. get waxed by Nigeria and Australia. Yeah, just this, so we, did you, did you see the end of the Nigeria game when we were trying to get that three-point shot off? Yeah. <laughs> it looked like they were running the three-man weave in we, place. I was like, dude, someone fucking shoot it. You realize that you have to, that's the way you have to go, right? That's the basket. Yeah. And Beal is just getting exposed on the big stage. Oh, Beal, God, don't even get me started. I mean, I didn't watch the full game, but I, I was just reading on. <laughs> I saw a funny tweet that was like, uh, it was just like a, a video of Michael Jordan just making jumpers from all over the court. <laughs> and the caption was, international guards when they see a Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal backcourt. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Because there's like no three seconds, right? There's like all these weird yeah. like rule things that I don't think these guys are used to. It is, it is weird. It's, it, but it's funny just watching the scrub NBA players like go off, and you're like, wait, who's this guy? He's, he's a third string on the Raptors. Gabe for Vincent, Gabe <laughs> Vincent, the guy who probably saw like three minutes all season for the for the Heat, had like six threes on. Yeah, the it's like uh, where do these guys come from? Like Chemezi Metu for Nigeria is on the Kings, like buried on our roster, like on the Kings. And he's like making plays. He did a behind the back yeah. pass. I was like, I've never seen you do that. Like in a real yeah, because like everyone was like, oh well, Nigeria has eight NBA players. It's like, all right, settle down. Like their <laughs> the, the their level of NBA player is different than like Precious Achua was like their most notable player. Yeah, exactly. And so I mean, it's embarrassing. I think you know the world is definitely caught up, but at the same time, we beat Nigeria by eighty three points in twenty sixteen or twenty twelve. So yeah. we're talking eight years ago. Um, they've not caught up that much to go zero and two. Hopefully, this is just all part of the master plan. But if there's going to be a lot, a lot of pressure on these guys. Um, at least Durant's done it. He's one of the best Olympic player of all time at this point. But you know, some of these guys who came here for their first experience turns into this disaster. It's going to yeah, be tough, especially all the good. way in Tokyo. There's no fans. The COVID protocols are crazy. Like, everyone's probably regretting this decision. So Yeah, it we'll sounds miserable, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they're probably going to be sticking swabs up their butt, like, every day. Like, it's <laughs> going to be crazy. Um, they have, you know, they're having big problems over there. Yeah, I don't, they are. For everything yeah. we did wrong with uh, COVID over the last year, we've just been light years ahead of everyone else in terms of vaccination absolutely that's made a big difference it's yeah it's kind of nuts just to see that like switch um from like a year ago versus now we're like we're the laughing stock now we're back to real life across the board right yep so i I went to a movie tonight we went to a we went to go see fast nine you know this um first movie first movie i had personally seen since in theaters since um the tragic day of January 26, 2020, since we were, I was watching uh, Uncut Gems when I heard about Kobe. So 
It was actually, I thought about that as I was like driving in and we're like, wow. Um, but anyway, Fast 9, absolutely stunning. They somehow outdid themselves, outdid all my expectations. Um, that, really, really incredible film. Couldn't I, I, recommend that's it a movie more. That, like, Imagine there's going to be a lot of Oscars buzz. <laughs> you know what you're going into with Fast Furious, but I know no matter what the movie, even if it actually was crap, I knew you were going to love it coming out of it. I knew you were going to be hyped. You're going to have all the energy ready for this pod now. Talking about family. I, I just, I could imagine all of it as you walk out of the theater. How big of a Fast fan are you? Like, have you seen them all? I've seen them all. I love them. I enjoy them. I love the absurdity of it for sure. Like, would you say you've seen them all over or under three times each? We've talked about this. I'm not a big, I like to watch movies once. I don't like revisiting movies. If I want to watch a movie again, I'll watch a new movie I haven't seen. So I've watched everything once. Like truly once. Like truly if I'm once. like, hey, Ocean, Ocean's Eleven, you've seen that one time. No, some of those movies, Ocean's Eleven, I've seen like maybe three times. Um, but most movies, like Harry Potter movies, all once. I actually didn't like the Harry Potter movies that much. As as big of a book fan as I am of those, I wasn't a big movie guy because like I knew the books too well. So like I could literally like quote the dialogue. So then when they weren't sticking to the script, which they can't, right? Because it's yeah. an 800 page book. There has to be some adaptation. It would always like, like, for example, if you go watch Prisoner of Azkaban, for those listening, if you remember from the book, the Firebolt gift was a big, big part of the story because it created the rift between Harry, Ron, and Hermione, right? Because Hermione thought it was a you know tampered gift from Sirius Black. She reported it, got the broom taken. I don't even remember In, all these details, but yes, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> believe me, it happened. <laughs> In the movie... And, oh, by, and by the way, it was the only time in Harry's seven years that he personally was on the field when they won the Quidditch Cup for the school. Okay. Despite playing Seeker for seven years, it was the only time he actually lifted the trophy. In the movie, they totally skip the Quidditch part, part, and they just show him zooming off on a fireball at the very end like it's a tail credits thing. <laughs> and I'm like... It's like literally one of the instrumental parts of the relationship of those three and why that wasn't always rosy. And the book did a great job depicting that. And then they just totally blow it off. So the funny thing about that is I thought the prisoner of basketball was one of the better movies. I remember it, it changed yeah. tone from the first two. Yeah. Um, the first two look, look like they were made in Candyland, And then the yeah, third exactly. one is where it got, it got a little darker. So the first two were um, Christopher Columbus directed it. <laughs> Wait, really? Which is a funny, yeah, it's a funny name. Um, yeah. But then the third one, it switched to, I think, um, not Antoine Fuqua. Anyway, somebody. <laughs> I forget. Some dude. But, all right. That's a wrap for us. Anything else from you? No, man. I mean, you're talking about your first cinematic experience. Uh, I think I'll be saving that for Space Jam, which is coming out on Friday. So. Uh, oh, that's right. I, I got to see my boy LeBron. Don't don't get mad at me, but I'm gonna watch it on HBO. Next. I actually, you know what? I'll probably end up doing the same. <laughs> then you're not giving him money, so he's not gonna make enough from this. It could be problems in the James household. I, I bought HBO just in anticipation for this movie, so I, I paid my dues. The the they had a preview for it right uh, before this movie. It was the first like full length one I'd seen. And I guess his kid is stolen or kidnapped, and he has to go play Don Cheadle. This is the only first time you're seeing like the actual trailer. No, no, no. Like I saw the. I don't like actually watching trailers that much because oh. I feel like they end up showing a lot of the fun parts that I want to see for the first time. I I feel like that with certain movies, but but yeah. Anyways, the the story is his kid gets like kidnapped, and they have to play a game of basketball to get his kid back. It's just as absurd as like the premise of the original one, which well, the original awesome. one I felt was realistic. This one, not so much. But <laughs> and this is a movie I know you're gonna watch and then just complain about how it couldn't live up to the first one. No, I think LeBron's actually a good actor. Like he was good in Trainwreck. He's decently funny, so I expect good things. And so what? The team that he's playing, like the evil guys, are like Anthony Davis, Clay Thompson, Dame Lillard. Lisa so so Lester, they haven't explained that exactly, right? They didn't in the trailer didn't explain like whether. It was like a monster situation where they came in and stole the powers or how that came to be. So I don't know. But I'm guessing. The only reason I think it is is because Lisa Leslie like was in the – it was like a woman, like sort of monster-looking person, and she like stamped on Tweety as she was going to the rim. Oh, yeah. No, they're the bad guys for sure. They're not playing with LeBron. 
It's the same concept. Oh, but you're saying you don't know if it's like intentional or it was like someone stole their power. My point is the trailer didn't give away like, you know how the first one is all about the monsters coming in, stealing their power. I don't know what the concept is here. We just know that they're bad. bad Right, right, right. Okay, got it, got it. The only thing I wonder is, dude, who cares about the Looney Tunes now? They're so irrelevant. Like outside of our age people who are watching Space Jam for nostalgic reasons, like what little kid is going to be like, oh, Bugs Bunny? That's true. But I think people care about Space Jam. Like, I think the Looney Tunes brand is, in this case, with, like, young kids is almost within the concept of Space Jam, which is kind of amazing to think about. No, but young kids don't know about the original Space Jam or Looney Tunes. Young kids know SpongeBob. They know, I don't know, like, what other cartoons are out there. But Yeah, I was going to say, how how many can you go <laughs> before you tap out? Yeah, Peppa the Pig. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, Peppa the Pig. I think that's, like, really little, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. Like uh, Power Rangers? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But all right, yeah, Space Jam, Fast and Furious Nine. Everyone go see both. Everyone watch the finals. To watch Team USA, support them. You know, let's be happy for them, even if they're not happy for us. Um, but that's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and we will talk to you next week.